And I'm your host, Sean Grigsby. This is Cosmic Dragon. This is a podcast all about books. Mainly science fiction and fantasy. And horror and speculative fiction. That kind of thing. So if this is your first time, welcome. We are going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff. This was a great interview with D.B. Jackson, uh, also known as David B. Coe. He is a fellow Angry Robot author, but he's also had books published with Tor and different places like that. You'll hear more about that in just a second. But while I have you, it's coming down to the wire, y'all. Ash Kickers, the sequel to Smoke Eaters, a publisher's weekly star-reviewed book that I wrote. is coming out July 9th, 2019. It's the hottest book of the summer, in my own opinion. Uh, about a phoenix, anyway. I don't know if there's any other book about dragons, ghosts, phoenix, and firefighters. So, if that's something that you're interested in, you can go to my website, seangrigsby.com, and all the pre-order links are there on the first page. It is available everywhere, so that means Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Powell's, Amazon, the list goes on and on, Indiegogo, wherever. Enough about me. Let's jump into our interview with D.B. Jackson. <laughs> Cosmic <laughs> Dragon, I've lost the number of episodes. I've done like 40-something of these motherfuckers. Uh, but here we are with uh, D.B. Jackson, who's also known as David B. Coe. So I don't know which, what I should call you for this podcast, but welcome to the show. Thanks. You can call me sir. No, no, you, you can call me, you can call me David. <laughs> All right, so we're here with David, and uh, David has a long, just found out uh, today during our pre-interview conversation, uh, he's got a lot of books out with uh, different publishers, but the most recent is with Angry Robot, which I've been published with myself. So uh, we're going to be talking about that, your journey, your just whole uh, coup de gras stance on life itself how about that or we can Sounds just talk great, about your books. you know <laughs> it can be as expansive or as narrow <laughs> as we want uh but uh yeah so tell me what are the books that you have published with angry robot because you it, one just released uh not too long ago right so uh the first two books of what is planned as a trilogy uh, the first one came out in October 2018. It's called Time's Children, uh, and it's the first book in what I call the Islevale cycle. These are epic fantasy, secondary world fantasies with a really strong time travel element in them. Um, and so the first book came out in October. The second book came out Tuesday, uh, which was May 28th. Uh, and it's called Time's Demon. And the third book is called Time's Assassin. And uh, we don't have a date yet for when that one will be out. But as I say, they're time travel epic fantasy. Um, my characters can walk back in time and kind of mess with history. They can't go forward into the future. Uh, but for every day that they go back in time, every hour they go back in time, every year they go back in time, they age that much. And when they come forward to their own time again, they age again. So my character starts out as a 15-year-old kid. He goes back 14 years, and he's now a 15-year-old kid living in the body of a 29-year-old man. Um, and so, and he's tasked with having to save the life of a child who's been assassinated upon on his arrival in the past, and he's trapped in that past. And so, you know, hijinks ensue, lots of castle intrigue and assassins and demons and stuff and like that. It sounds like you it's have a stuff. little bit of uh, big with Tom Hanks in there as well. 
<laughs> with the 15 year old in, in the 29 year old body. Um, <laughs> I may, I don't know yeah. if I'm the first to mention that. That's just my, where my mind went. You are actually that's, and, and now I have this, this image of my character playing on that, that, uh, floor piano in FAO Schwartz <laughs> and my wife will never be I the mean, same. Sh- Shazam did it. So why not, you know, next book, next book, it doesn't have to, yeah. I mean, because granted it's probably not going to be an electronic floor <laughs> piano, but somehow you can work in a fantasy style piano in the floor. If you, <laughs> you don't you have go. to do that. I hate I'm when people give me floor, ideas and then like they sound horrible and you're wondering if they're joking or being sincere. And so you're like, I don't know what to tell you because I hate that idea. <laughs> so I'm just going to move the conversation along. Well, that sounds awesome. Uh, okay, uh, and uh, yeah, so a trilogy. And you already have the title of the third book, which it's, it's I mean, it's not that difficult. You know, you have times demon, times children, you know. I don't know what the hell I'm going to call my third Smoke Eaters book at all. I have ideas, you know. I, I kind of hit this mark <laughs> with Ash Kickers with, <laughs> that everybody was like, that's such a great name. Right. I, I don't want to ruin it. Like, I don't want to ruin the third book by having a having a uh, a bad title. So. One of the reasons that I named them the way I did is when I write, I've written, this is my one, two, three, five. This is my sixth series that I've written. And with the epic fantasies that I've written, even though they're all following one big storyline, and I have lots of point of view characters coming through, and I like to kind of give each book to a different character. All the characters show up, but the first book belonged to my two characters who were time travelers, Tobias and Mara. The second book, they're in there, but the story belongs to a demon named Drowy, and it's it's her narrative that really propels the action and the emotional resonance of the entire book. And the last book, it's going to be one of my assassins who's playing that role. And so that's that's why I named them the way I did, because that's something I try to do with each one of my uh, my Well, yeah, that's great, fantasies. because, you know, the title actually has something to do with the plot. <laughs> I hate when titles are yes. like, you go through the whole book, and then you get to the end, and you're like, that was great. Um... But why was it called the Cabbage Chopper's daughter? You know, because <laughs> there was no Cabbage Chopper right. and there was no daughter of the Cabbage, <laughs> cho- you know, or whatever the people call it. But that that's good. That makes sense. So yeah. uh, this would be epic fantasy then, you said? It's epic fantasy in that it's secondary world. It's um, It's in a time kind of analogous to early Renaissance. Uh, in terms of the the technology level and the time period. Um, And as I say, it has multiple plot threads, multiple point of view characters. And so it has that epic fantasy feel to it. There's a lot of scope to the storytelling. Uh, And then the time travel element obviously plays a role as well. Um, And I had been, I'd gotten away from epic fantasy. That's how I started my career was as an epic fantasist. And I wrote 11 books that way. And then I, shifted to urban fantasy for seven books and and after a while i missed it i was like okay i'm ready to go back and do some epic fantasy again but i wanted to do something a little different so that's how i landed in, uh, in the isle of so series uh because you know you watch mm-hmm. 
panels at different places and they have an epic fantasy panel and the people say, well, what makes epic fantasy? Well, it's epic, you know? (laughs) And then they say, well, then there's high fantasy. And you're like, okay, so if there's high fantasy, does that mean there's low fantasy? Because I've never heard low fantasy. Well, maybe once or twice. But then there's sword and sorcery. Like, do do people call it sword and sorcery anymore? Uh, Because a lot of like short story uh, markets say no sword and sorcery. You know, and so it's like there's whole all these names. Right. And I right. don't know what that means. And, you know, some yes. people would also yeah. say, go ahead. And they're all fungible. I was just going to say they're all fungible. It seems as though there's a certain convenience to these labels that we put on things. Um, and so I've always conflated epic fantasy and high fantasy and sword and sorcery into this kind of this thing that looks a little like Game of Thrones and has some throwback root in Tolkien stuff, but can be different in certain, you know, it, as you say, it's, it's so vague and there are so many terms for it that it's hard to know what we're talking about. And now there's grimdark and I don't, I'm not clear on what grimdark is, except that when I read it, I really enjoy it. Right. Um, <laughs> but there's just, so when I'm writing a fantasy, what I mean is it's happening in an alternate world. I've got lots of point of view characters. And that's right. pretty much it. And then you got people who say, well, time travel is specifically science fiction. Ah, ha, ha. Nope. Here comes David with some <laughs> nope. fantasy time travel, <laughs> um, which I'm sure has been done before. But obviously, yeah. I think science fiction has more of the time travel aspect to it. Um, but I like also that your characters can walk backward in time, but they can't walk into the future because it makes more sense because the future doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, neither. The past doesn't either, but you know, it, at yeah. least it, it, there's, you don't know what the future is going to hold. It's, it, there's nothing there to go to. So I do like that, that you did that. The thing about time travel is that it's an endless source of do overs. And that's, and that's a bad thing when you're trying to plot a book and you come up with this really cool plot twist that's going to screw everybody over the way you want your characters right. to be screwed over. You know what I mean? And, and then you realize, well, okay, but my character can go back and undo that. And so in creating – so I looked into the scientific theories about time travel and realized within like three minutes on Wikipedia that I just wasn't <laughs> smart enough to be reading the stuff. that. I- <laughs> and so I thought, okay, magical time travel. Um, and I created a system that is heavy on cost, heavy on kind of like – character inconvenience if you want to walk back in time um you have to have the ability to do it which is innate you have to have certain um you you need to have what's called a chronophore which if you've seen the cover of my books uh both characters in this series are holding this thing that looks like an old uh pocket watch and that's the chronophore you can't do anything without the chronophore you can't go back in time if you're wearing a stitch of clothing or carrying anything other than that device um, like the Terminator. When you go back, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And when you go back in time, the between, the, 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 the span that you traverse between your present and the past that you're headed to is vicious. It's airless. It is an assault on the senses. It's, it's like you go back and you relive every sensory input you've had in the intervening time. And it's, it's mm. really unpleasant. Um, and so my characters suffer, plus they lose their years every time they go back 
in time. Because what I'm trying to do is mitigate that sense of nothing is permanent if you have time travel. I tried to make time travel so rare, so difficult, so taxing that it wouldn't overwhelm my yeah, narrative. Yeah, you put Does some stipulations sense? on it, some, uh, some hindrances, yeah. uh, which is cool. Um, but I was just I was just thinking about Avengers Endgame, <laughs> and how and that movie and also what's that? Yeah, no spoilers. Spoil. You haven't seen it. Okay, I haven't seen it. Okay, well let's move on to other films that involve time travel, um, <laughs> for no other reason. But like I was just thinking about like people get so upset and so like it seems like everybody has a soapbox when it comes to time travel and i'm over here just saying it's not real so so like i'm i'm cool with like you tell me this this transports you back in time or moves you for did you know people who complain about books with a time travel element who pretty much nail as best as they could will watch back to the futures part one through three without a problem so, like, why does that get a pass? <laughs> and these people over here writing the books right. don't. You know, is it because it's a DeLorean? <laughs> you know, it's... Anyway, that was just my little... So I, I, people who complain about time travel and, and media is my soapbox. No, I get that. I get that. I have been very fortunate. The The reviews of the books have been really strong, and nobody has come after me with a... You know, his time travel doesn't work. Pretty much the, the the reaction has been, oh, I haven't seen this in time travel before. It's cool. I'm willing nice. to go with it. So either either they're taken along by other factors and just willing to ignore the flaws that I've built into my system, or they're not spotting the flaws I've built into my system. So right. either way, I'm happy. That's good. So let's talk about your journey yeah. into yeah. publishing. Like, where were you? How old were you when you said, yes, I'm going to do this seriously and I'm, I'm going to get traditionally published? I started writing when I was teeny. I, I have my first book and it was something that was put between two pieces of construction paper and tied together with yellow yarn. And I, I wrote it when I was six years old. And I always, always was writing stories and stuff like that. And I went to college thinking I was going to be a creative writing major. And, and then I ran into the pretension of an Ivy League um, writing workshop and thought, okay, not for me. And I ended up getting a PhD in history. Um, but that dream never went away. And after I got my PhD, this was in the summer of 1993. So a long time ago. Um, my wife said to me, she, I had just gotten my degree. She said, you know, since the day I met you, you've been talking about writing a novel and you have all summer and most of the fall before you have to start applying for academic jobs to use your PhD. Why don't you try writing and see if you like it? And so I did. And I got about 200 pages into a book and then had to start applying for academic jobs. And, but I sent those 200 pages and an outline of the rest of the book to a friend of mine who worked in publishing and he acted as my agent um and in march of 1994 i got an offer to teach environmental history at colorado state university which was pretty much my wow. dream academic job and the next day the next day i got a call from an editor at tour who said we want to buy your novel and I had the weekend to decide which path I was going to follow. 
Wow, that's tough. <laughs> um, and I chose. Yeah, well, you know what? It should have been tough, but it wasn't because when it came right down to it, I was okay doing history. I right. loved writing. Loved, loved, loved it. And my wife had a job as a college professor, same job she has to this day. Um, and we were okay financially because of her job. We were living in cheap housing and stuff. We didn't have kids yet. She was like, just you know, do what your heart is telling you you want to do. And as soon as she said that, I knew. Um, and so I have been writing now for 25 years. I have... Uh, Times Demon is my 23rd published novel. I have about the same number of published wow. short stories. Um, and uh, it's it's gone, you know, I've never been a number one bestseller. I've never had anything turned into a blockbuster movie. Um, but I have had a sustained career for two and a half decades. That's, and in this business, that's pretty good. That's Not pretty many good. People I'm pretty happy. That. Not many at all. Um, and yeah. I would if I was anybody else, be all, you're so prolific. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's like, okay, Harlan Ellison once said, you don't call a plumber a pro prolific plumber because he, <laughs> he's fixed like 50 toilets. You just call him a plumber. It's just, you're a writer, you write. Um, and it's, heck, that's like a book a year, yes. basically. Which is, honestly, yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. downplaying it because you've had a great career and not many people could say they've had that many stories and novels published. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not going to patronize you and be all like, oh my gosh, you're just so great for writing all those books. And you're probably sitting there like, well, I just wrote one at a time. You know, it's just, it just kind of worked that way. It, it, that's exactly right. You write one at a time. You, you hope you get the next contract. I mean, you know how this business is. It's, you know, I can, I can say to a publisher or an editor, Hey, I have all these books and that publisher or editor will say, great. How did right. the last one sell? And that's, that's, that, <laughs> that's that a very good point. They don't go, Oh wow. Well, you've been published this many times. I won't even read whatever you're uh, trying to pitch me now. Um, yeah. It's always, it's, it's like uh, when I yeah. was in theater and they say, you're only as good as your last show. You're only as good as your last book. Um, but then that gets into the whole yep. subjectivity and objectivity and, and all that crap. So we <laughs> we won't get into it. But um, <laughs> wow. So you've had such a lengthy career, written a lot of books, uh, have experienced probably every facet of what a writer goes through. So what would you say is the one thing that you know now that you wished you knew starting out? Uh, that's a great question. Um, the careers are nonlinear. That would be, that would be. I had this sense because I was very fortunate starting out. My first series sold. The first book sold pretty well. The second book sold better. The third book sold better than that. And my first series won the Crawford Award. Um, uh, and so I had this sense of, oh, oh wow, look, my career is building. And then Tor gave me a five book deal on my next series. And all my advances were much higher than the previous ones had been. And so I had this sense that careers are on an upward trajectory, and that's what they do. And then it all crashed down. Um, the stuff happened um, beyond the control of everyone. But, you know, my career kind of faltered. And I had to 
reinvent myself and I turned to um, urban fantasy and I took on a pseudonym um, and that worked for a while and then I had another faltering where things didn't go as the way I wanted to and I kind of had to reinvent myself again and I wish someone had said to me early on hey it looks like everything's going smoothly now but this is not how this business works. There's going to be ups and downs. I have a friend who says, if you haven't had to reinvent yourself two or three times, you're just not trying. Um, and it's, it's true. You just, every once in a while, you have to regroup and say, okay, this isn't working anymore. What worked for a few years, it's just not right. And I have to start over again and learn something new and challenge myself and push myself in a new direction. Uh, and finally, and that's okay. It will be all right. If you stick to it and you put your ass in the chair and you're right, you'll yeah, be Yeah, right. you know, they always talk about, and you probably heard it yourself, uh, that persistence is the most important quality of a writing career. That's so true. But what they don't, or what I think people, and myself yeah. included, uh, they don't realize is that it, you have to have persistence throughout your writing career. It's not until you get an agent or until you get that first novel. Like, there is no, like... You know, Sisyphus in Greek mythology, you know, you reach the top of the hill and you push this big ass boulder all the way up there. But guess what? That motherfucker is going to roll all the way back down the other side of the hill and you got to start all the way over. So it's, yeah, persistence throughout the whole writing career because you don't know what's going to happen at all. But, you know, it's yeah. And Fonda Lee actually was tweeting about something similar to this uh, yesterday, I believe, where she was talking about and there was a New York Times article that writers specifically it, it it's like they're never satisfied i know i'm not there's always the next thing you know oh you got an agent great oh now let's get a book deal okay oh you got one let's get a multi-book deal oh let's get a movie deal oh let's get a bigger publisher you know it, it's there's always some like you said we were talking about earlier about different things but there's always something yeah i had a, a post come out the other day um on a friend's site as part of the the publicity push for times demon um in which I talk about imposter syndrome, which is one of these things that, that writers, so many writers I know face all the time, the sense that, you know, yeah, I got this contract, but, but I probably didn't deserve it. They're just going to figure out in another day or two that they shouldn't have given me all that money. And, and we kind of go through these, these crises of confidence. And yet, we're also oh, arrogant yeah. as hell. <laughs> I mean, our entire, career, our entire career is built on the idea that, hey, I just wrote this story. And it's so fucking good that you should go out, spend some money, right. and read it. It's like there's there's a certain hubris involved. And so the article was called The Arrogant Imposter. And it really is this balance that I think we find as writers, this sense of we can look at our stuff and we can say, oh, God, I suck. And we can look at our, our work and we can say, you know, I'm so good that everybody should be reading my book. And those two things can live side by side. And really what we need to do is we right. need to find the balance, the ability to say, I'm good, but I'm not yet good enough. I want to be better. And that's, and that's the happy medium. That's where the imposter meets the arrogance and hopefully becomes something that motivates you know, and drives that, us. You uh, know, that brings to mind a book I started reading uh, recently, nonfiction. Uh, it, it's called the alter ego effect. Uh, and I'll have to look at the author, but, uh, it basically, and it's, it's kind of something that I think everybody knows innately, 
uh, or is even done themselves, but to having it, it spelled out and laid out in front of you is like, oh, okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. But the, the alter ego effect talks about how people who perform highly uh, repetitively, constantly, in high-performance situations in business, sports, art, whatever, uh, they basically have an alter ego that they kind of like emulate. I I'm, I have knowledge of the occult a little bit. So to me, I'm thinking like when I'm reading about Bo Jackson talking about how he thought of being Jason <laughs> Voorhees from Friday the 13th every time he stepped out on the football field, I'm thinking that's like demonic invocation, man. He's like, <laughs> he's bringing like this presence into himself and you know, which that's all woo woo kind of stuff. I, I try to look at the scientific and, and psychological thing of it, but that totally makes sense. But I completely agree with you that you really have yeah. to marry the, or find the middle ground between arrogant prick <laughs> and uh, completely right. uh, self deprecating suffering artist. Yeah. Yeah. Cause both, because both of the extremes are yeah, debilitating. They are. <laughs> and so you, you, and in you, fact, you, you know what I think right. it is, is yeah. I think it, once you start veering into one, uh, you will the other side will snap you back. Because I think there's always the periods that you feel high and, and, and you're on your game and you're great and you start believing the bullshit. Everybody starts talking about you, you know, about how great you are. <laughs> and then like the next day or week or month, so, sometime soon you will snap back into the other side and be all like god i suck and i haven't heard any good news in a month and nothing's moving and i hate publishing because it's so slow you know it's stuff like that so i guess if you just kind of ride and that's tough yes. too riding that balance because your ego wants to go one way or the other wow we're getting to, to some real deep stuff yeah oh yeah absolutely Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so with Pime's Children, the first book in the in the Anvil series, that book was rejected by like ten publishers before Angry yeah. Robot picked it up. And so, you know, I was thinking, wow, you know, I'm lucky they took it. it you know, I guess this book kind of sucks, but Angry Robot saw something in it they like it. Well, when the book came out, it immediately got a starred review in right. Publishers Weekly. And then Reviews and Robots named it their best fantasy novel right. of 2018. And so there's this sense, and I'm saying, okay, so that's, that's a little humble <laughs> right there, forgive me. But the fact, of the, matter, the fact of the matter is, on the one hand, the industry said, this book kind of sucks. And then the industry was wrong. And then, and then, yeah, and then the industry was wrong. And they came back and they said, oh, okay, no, this, this book actually works. And so, which is true. Well, I don't suck and I'm not the best writer in the world i'm somewhere in between and that's no okay place okay to with be that. you know um yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i think we've we've really gone into some deep stuff but um i tell you what uh look you you, you when's when's the third one come out yeah it was a two option on the third we're waiting for angry robot to uh awesome. to pick up who, the option who's your agent by the way lucian oh, diver oh yes yes agency. back when i was uh querying uh, yeah. agents i used to watch she has a bunch of videos on youtube and actually coming to mind some yep. dude was on there talking trash about her and i was <laughs> and like about how like there's some <laughs> conspiracy and that you have to be like real like 
deep state type of bullshit where he was talking about how you like you had to be a certain type of person to be able to be published like like i don't know a freemason or something i forget what he said but i went on there and i argued it and i was like you're you i didn't call him an idiot but i was like that's just right man get better and keep sending it out that's how it works and then he's like oh yo yo whatever you come back to me when you're published and blah 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 and now i'm like sitting here with an agent and like Three books under my belt and <laughs> stories and stuff, and I just want to go back. Anyway, yeah. I remember that was one of Lucian's uh, videos that I commented on. I'm gonna have to find it and send you a screenshot. Uh, where can uh, <laughs> we find your books, and where can we find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, you can find my books pretty much anywhere fine books are sold. Um, so you know, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, the the. Actually, at this point, I think every novel I've written is available in audiobook and ebook That's great. and paper. And you know what? Um, I feel bad because like, I asked and, you that question, uh, but then I realized that I hate when people ask me that question. <laughs> I'm doing it because we're promoting <laughs> you and your books. But do you ever have like just regular people like you're talking to? You're like, oh, yeah, I'm a writer. Like, oh, yeah, have I heard of any of your stuff? And, you know, and then it leads to well, we're, we're, what is it on Amazon? Yes, but <laughs> it's like it's 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 like that thing we were talking about riding that arrogant versus uh, uh, insecure thing where you're like you want to go. I'm a big deal, man. <laughs> like I'm in Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. Like I'm not, you know, and not hating on self-published and indie people, of course, but you yeah. know, there, there's a kind of cockiness that comes. No, no, I know, I know what you're saying. I'm not selling my books out of the back right. of cars. It's like I, I, I didn't just go to Kinko's and print this off and just, you know what I mean? It's like I, I did the right stuff. Yes. But anyway, yep. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> yeah, as, as you say, I mean, these days, you know, there's some really fine indie stuff coming out. There's people who are doing some really good work self-publishing. There's a lot of crap out there as well. And you're going to find crap in traditionally published stuff and in self-published stuff. But it's not like when I got into the business, they still used to refer to, you know, right. vanity press. If you were self-publishing, the, the assumption was you're self-publishing because you can't do anything else. And that's right. just not the case anymore. The um, and the industry has changed so much since. I mean, that would, that's a whole other conversation. But good Lord, the industry has changed completely since when I got into the business. When I when I first started out writing, people were like, oh, you're a writer, that's interesting. And then I'd say, yeah, I have a website. And they were like, oh, right. you have a website? <laughs> and it's like, now everybody has a website. <laughs> but that was that was the measure. That was the bar. Oh, you, you were serious. Website, oh, you you're were like stabbed. Stephen King level, man. Seriously. Wow. Yeah, yeah, because that's what, me and Steve, we had that in common. He had a okay, website. Is it dot, so dot org or dot com? <laughs> and you're like dot com. Oh man! Oh wow! <laughs> so people can find me at davidbco.com. Nice <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I know. Right? Well done. Well done. I got this marketing <laughs> thing down, man. And then uh, people can also find me at dbjackson-author.com. Um, and that's where the, like the, the information on the Isle Vale books is and stuff like that. But you can go to davidbco.com and it'll link you to the other one. So the fact that I have these two names is not like some closed secret where they're never supposed to meet or anything. My fans 
know me as both and read me as both and go to both sites and stuff like that. I, I, I retweet myself <laughs> a lot, um, <laughs> you know, going back and forth between accounts. Um, and, and so people can find me there. I will be, um, let's see, I'll be at Liberty Con in Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, at the end of June. I'll be signing in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Hamilton Place Mall uh, in the middle of June. I'll be at Congregate in North Carolina in July, and I'll be in Dublin at Worldcon in oh, you lucky uh, August. You get it. <laughs> You're going all I over the place. Know. I went to San Jose, Worldcon <laughs> San Jose, but yeah. man, maybe New Zealand, maybe. Uh, and we are. See, my wife never ever goes with me to conventions. She has her own job, her own career. She likes her weekends off. And I said, you know. So next year, Worldcon's going to be in Dublin. She was like, oh, when are we going? You know, she, was like, she was all over that. And, and now it's like, well, we went to this year's, we're going to this year's Worldcon. We really should go to next year's if it's going to be in, in Wellington. We really need to go. So it looks like she's now coming with me to all the cool that's places. That's good. That's great. That's, that's a lesson I've had yeah, to learn is, is that it's, it's uh, good to bring your wife along or your spouse your partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. If you yep. if you're if you've got a cool setup to where they're cool with you going to another country by yourself, hey, more power to you. But I no, that's not going to happen in this house. <laughs> so yeah, and it's easier now that the kids are out of the house. Um, we're empty nesters. Our kids have gone oh, off so college that makes and so much and, See, and I, beyond. I'm, no, we've we have a nine year old, a six year old, and a three year old. So. We've got some years ahead of us. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. It it's all great. God, I, parenting. That's great. another conversation we can have about how to, how to parent and be a full-time writer at the same time. Uh, because I sure as fuck haven't figured yeah, it out. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I can't write when my kids are around. <laughs> unless they're all sleeping. But, you know, when they're <laughs> sleeping, guess what I want to do? I want to take a nap myself. Yes. Sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, hey, yeah, no, naps are very good for the that. author. Just saying, everybody, don't be afraid to take those naps. That's coming from <laughs> both a firefighter and a writer. <laughs> you didn't you know that? A firefighter? David, we've been no. friends online for at least a year. I know, hence the title of all the books. Oh, yeah, it all comes, it's all slapped. Now, in the Daughters place. of Forgotten Light has nothing to do with firefighters <laughs> or, or dragons. And that's one of those books where I'm like, uh -huh. I don't know, it, it's it's either really piss people off or they really love it. And I'd like more people to discover it because like compared to Smoke Eaters, it's like, what the hell, little book? I don't know. Have you had books where you're like, why isn't this one doing as well as that one? Because they're just as good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've had that a lot, and and you know the <laughs> the books get jealous yes. of each other. They're like children, <laughs> but They're it's really all in like your children. own head, so it's really you. It's <laughs> what one yeah. alter ego getting on to the nerves of another. Hey, so everybody, we've been talking to DB Jackson, also known as David B. Co. Uh, and I hope I pronounced all those correctly. You never know with some authors. Awesome. Yep. Uh, so you know where to find yep. his books, where to find him, and. For Cosmic Dragon, I'm Sean Grigsby, and we are out.